Welcome to Omaha Rio Radio, episode number five with Jose Pina. You're listening to Omaha Rio Radio. We break down real estate investing in the Omaha metro area, large and small. If you are here to learn from local investors and skip all the BS, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the hundreds of others that have joined OmahaRia.com. Hey guys, welcome to Omaha Ria Radio. I'm here with the man, the myth, my personal legend, Owen Dashner. You need to get out more to my <laughs> legend. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's exciting. Episode number five already. I mean, are we official? I think we're official. So, hey, hey, because we always forget to do this. Please, 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 if you hate us or love us, give us a review. Okay. Yes, that's fair. I yeah. mean, even if you hate us, just give us a five stars so that we can get more reviews and we can look like we're a big deal. Yeah, you can go on hating us. Just still give us five stars and hit like and share and all that. Good Some stuff. people just listen who they hate. That's true. I yeah. mean, they might hate us so much they just want to listen to us. That's true. Yes. And then just give us a hard time later. <laughs> So, what, man, what do you think about last week's episode? Oh man! How, well, first of all, we could have gone on for like he is so funny. Like I, Dan Freeman. Oh my god! Like I, I was laughing and laughing and laughing. I couldn't, I couldn't hold it together. So I apologize to the viewers and listeners for my uh, distractions. That was our longest episode yet. Yeah, yeah. He's so freaking <laughs> funny. I love that guy. He was so nervous. He was a little bit more yeah. than anybody else. Yeah. And uh, but it was a great interview. I really enjoyed that. Well, great story, and I really appreciated like the uh, like how candid he was about some pretty tough spots in his life and how um, he's turned the corner and you know put some a pretty cool business together. Got a partner, and they've done a lot of a lot of stuff in a short amount of time that I think would be the envy of a lot of newer investors for sure. One thing I've always uh, said uh, is I've had lots of friends have gone through those hard hard trying mm-hmm. times like that, and I I personally found that. People that have gone through different forms of addiction in their life have addictive personalities in general and tend to, uh, when they uh, be addicted to either being sober or addicted to a business that they're in uh, or addicted to working out, whatever it is, they're completely addicted to it. And they tend to be, in my opinion, some of the hardest workers, uh, as long as you can keep them from going uh, astray, they're the the people I, I... make the millions out there. They're the, they're the ones that become extremely successful because they nothing's stopping them. Well, that's a great point. It's like immersion in something that you're passionate about. And that could be, like you said, it could be the dark side or it could be something that adds productivity to your life and is in a positive, uh, you know, frame of mind. But yeah, it's, I, I'm really glad he shared that. I, I did not know that about him. Neither did all. I. And I think, uh, that gives, gives me a lot of respect, uh, a lot more respect for him that he can share something as personal as that yeah. on, on, you know, on a forum like this. Yeah. So cool, cool guy. Great feedback. I love yeah. it. Um, and the fact that you got, you know, baptized at the age of 40 something. Yeah. That's crazy. You don't hear that very often. And yeah, that's, that's really, really cool. Cool oh, story. That's, that's awesome. Hey, so, you know, we were trying to do this new thing where we kind of ask each other a question. Maybe we, something we didn't know about each other. Maybe just something we want to know more, cuff, more about. Yeah. yeah. Off the cuff. And I don't know your question. You don't know my question. But my question is for you is, okay, so you guys got liquid lending. And this isn't like a promo thing for liquid lending, though they're a sponsor. But how how do you go about starting a um, – I mean, 
a hard money lender? Is it just because you guys are so rich that you guys just have gobs of cash sitting in pocket, sitting around? You're like, hey, you know what? We can't find properties. Pretty much, yeah. We're like Scrooge McDuck, just uh, you know, doing the backstroke in our millions of coins. That, that's what. Okay, so <laughs> that, that answers my question. Not at all. Not at all. Okay, it's like done. I now I know. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, question is, how does it? How do you? How do you get started? How do you get started? And and you know, is it is it how lucrative is something like that? Yeah, I think uh, um, no, it's a really really interesting business, and and we've grown it into you know actually a, a legitimate business as opposed to something like oh I you know I loaned uh, Ted Kosh uh, money for a project and just doing like a one and done or maybe onesie twosie loans here and there. But we made this into a legitimate business, and I, I think. September, the month of September would be one year that we've been in business for liquid lending. And, uh, I think we've done, um, I, I know it's at least 90, if not like closer to 95 loans in the past year. Um, so that's, you know, quite a bit. And we've done, I mean, other than things like this and mentioning at the meetup, we've done zero advertising. So, and we've actually like continuously tried to grow the business. Well, I mean, not zero advertising because you guys are a paid sponsor. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> uh, I thought that went without saying. So, uh, but no, uh, so I think to answer your question though, I think it depends on what you want to do with it. If you want to just get a good return and you have some cash that you don't necessarily want to put into real estate or the stock market or something like that, and you just want to get a better return. And you know somebody and trust them. And there's nothing wrong with funding a deal for someone as a hard money lender. And then just making interest on that. And when the loan pays off, you know, you can figure out what you're going to do next. However, if you really want to make it into a, you know, a legit thing where you're continuously churning money and raising money and deploying that and playing arbitrage like we're doing, um, then you, you really need to spend some time with a good lawyer that understands, uh, the legalities of it because there's usury laws. There's the Dodd-Frank Act. Uh, legislation that was put in place that prevents a lot of, um, you know, predatory lending and things like that. So you have to be knowledgeable about what you can and can't do. And every state is different. That's the real thing. The, the thing that we learned very quickly, Iowa and Nebraska, it's honestly kind of like the wild west here. Like as long as you loan to an entity, I think that's the first thing uh, that hard money lenders need to understand or, or people that are borrowing hard money. You can't just go out and borrow it as like Owen Dashner or Ted Kosh, right? You have to have an entity because a business to business loan kind of falls outside the parameters of what you can do for a homeowner as far as lending goes. So uh, kind of long-winded response, but yeah, I think uh, it depends on what you want to do with it. Um, you can certainly pool money with other people like I did. Uh, so I've got uh, four business partners in liquid lending and we all kicked in money. Who and are they? Then, uh, we've got Chris Pomerleau, Colin Schwartz, Peter Anaradian, and Brandon Tauber. Oh, I didn't and know Peter then, was. Yep. Yeah. Peter is partner as well. And then um, Nick Brune uh, is kind of our, honestly, he's kind of grown into this role as almost like the the front man on answering a lot of questions from borrowers and so forth. And I, I did a pretty heavy lift when we first started this and got inundated with people that want, you know, had questions and wanted to have us look at deals and, you know, had loan requests and all that. And it was just, you know, I'm trying to run other, another business or two. So I was getting a little burned out on doing that. So thankfully Nick stepped in and into what I was doing and was able to just kill it. So he's doing a really a job. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fun business. Um, I, here's what I like about it. You know, I'm so used to real estate. It's like, you, everybody's looking for a deal. So you're analyzing all these things, you're making offers and you get a deal. And then once you get it, then you got to do something with it. How, what am I, are you going to rehab it? Are you going to, um, you know, rent it out? And there's all these issues and problems that you have to solve along the way throughout the life cycle of your ownership with lending. It's like you underwrite the deal, the money goes out the door, 
And then you just sit back and like money comes in uh, every month. I mean, hopefully. Uh, but that's what's so cool about it. It's truly a passive business. So um, that's been a fun part of it. Just seeing, you know, like that we've built all this up over time. And now that, you know, the monthly uh, checks are nice. So do you guys, I mean, literally use your own money or do you guys do loans? We have, yeah, that's no, that's a good question. So when we first started, we each kicked in our own money and immediately loaned that out, like all of it within a, less than a month. Um, so we had multiple requests come in for funding and, and we, um, you know, underwrote the deals like we were the ones that were going to be buying it. That's kind of how we operate. It's like if we got this property and we had to foreclose on it and the deal went sideways, are we fine owning it? Could we do something with it to make money and have it be a profitable venture? And if the answer is yes, generally we're going to do it. Um, so, and of course we take into consideration the, the borrower's experience level and so forth. So, um, yeah, we've, we've, uh, we've had good luck with that so far. So I've recently found out that I was completely wrong on this, but, uh, I've always just assumed when we did a hard money loan that you were giving rights to that property. So I always thought if I faulted on that loan payment, that you automatically got that property. And I thought that was the benefit of being a hard money lender, but that is not actually the case. Yeah. There's a definitely a process you have to go through. There's a notice of default. You have to advertise it, um, in, you know, whatever publication, depending on the County you're in and the state you're in, but you have to advertise it and then you have to give them notice. And then like, there's a whole like legal process you have to follow. So typically, um, it's longer and more drawn out than you would normally think. And it really is state dependent. So, um, but generally our loans are, you know, first position. So we have a first position deed of trust, a promissory note, a personal guarantee, and then like a sale and loan agreement. So we kind of have four main documents. Um, and then once we have, we spent a lot of time with our attorney. So Dan Paul, who's, yeah, who's great. I mean, I mean, we're talking hundreds of hours. So, um, but he's, he's been great. We actually uh, spent some time with a guy that was on the, uh, banking commission for 30 years. So we asked a million questions and that was super helpful. So I would just say, get, make sure your ducks are in a row. Don't just go out and be like, oh yeah, I'm a hard money lender. And then like, you don't want to do anything that's going to get you into trouble. And you also want to make sure that your position is protected. So I always thought it was just like a buy here, pay your car lot. And yeah. you, your payment is missed at midnight. Guess what? They flip that switch. Your car turns yeah, off. Here, here comes a tow truck. It takes it. It goes back on the market after being cleaned and back up. I yeah. just, I, I thought that, I thought that's what hard money lending was this whole time. Yeah, you, that, you miss a payment. We go out and change the locks the next day. <laughs> no. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a phenomenal business. It really has. Uh, it's, it, it, there's a fair amount of work. It can be a little stressful depending on what's going on, but, um, it's a, it's a great, great business. And, and, you know, if you, if you're good to your borrowers and responsive, uh, like we try to be, uh, I think it goes a long way toward repeat business. So we've had, uh, some of our best customers are people that we've gotten to be, you know, know and trust and they, they know and trust us and we do what we say we're going to do. And, and we expect the same. So this Omaha re office, AKA my, one of my apartments in my five unit here, we actually did our transactions through liquid lending. So we appreciate it. Cause that was, really oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, one, one thing uh, real quick and I'll wrap up on this, but uh, you, you asked about um, our own money or other people's money. Yeah. So, so we do use our own, but we ran out of that quickly. Then we also got a, a pretty decent line of credit, um, which we immediately loaned out as well. And then we've also um, basically taken investor money. So we borrowed from, you know, friends and family mainly. And so like we'll borrow at uh, 9% and then we turn around and loan it out at 18. So that's our kind of like business model. We basically arbitrage the interest on borrowed money. I tell you what, I just learned a lot and I bet a lot of people listening learned something on that too. So thanks for clarifying on that. Yeah. So my question for you is not business related, but can you think of what is one of the most embarrassing things that has ever happened to you in your life? If you can talk about it. 
I, one of the most embarrassing things that ever happened to me. In Anything life. stick out? No. No? Um, yeah, I have no idea. Huh. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, have to, I'll think of another one. We'll come up on, uh, we'll come up on the uh, end. Okay. Yeah. I'm up. sorry. I, I just, I just, I can't think of something else. Hey, that's the risk you run with these, uh, these, you know, recordings, Ted. Like you got to be on your, on your toes. With that, the that's questions. why I brought you because you're the guys on, his, on your toes <laughs> all the time. So, hey, uh, with that being said, uh, I want to know if you have a golden, golden nugget. nugget. Uh, <laughs> today's golden nugget is time blocking habit stacking. So it's kind of a two for one, uh, special today. So this, uh, everyone knows someone or even maybe yourself is guilty of saying, I don't have time for, I would do that, but I just don't have time. And the easiest one to think of, I think is like working out or going to the gym or just taking care of yourself in general, getting exercise. And you hear everyone's default answer on that is I, I don't have, that must be nice. I don't have enough time for that. And my challenge with that is it's because you're not time blocking. And I'm a huge believer in this. And like everybody knows that um, I have a specific time of day that I go to the gym. So Brandon, my partner, like he doesn't even ask. Like he knows I'm going at 7.30 every single day during the work week. And uh, I make it my thing. So it's, uh, and if I didn't time block that, it would be very easy to say, oh yeah, I've got an appointment. And well, I didn't go to the gym today. And then tomorrow, maybe I have something else. And then you stop, you know, your routine. So the best way to, I think to make progress on that is to, is to time block. And this goes for a lot of different things. So maybe it's not working out. Maybe it's, uh, you just don't have time to analyze deals, right? Well, if you put that on your calendar every day, from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. or 4 to 5 or whatever your time is. Maybe it's at night. Maybe you have a full-time job. Maybe after the kids go to bed, you set aside a half an hour. No excuses. It's just on your calendar. You know that you go do it. So time blocking. And then another, so this is a great book. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that's read this, but James Clear wrote one uh, called Atomic Habits. Uh, love, 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 the, love that book. So I've listened to the, the audible version. I've, um, I've read it, uh, multiple times and I love the, uh, habit stacking. So basically it's just layering on stuff you're already doing, uh, to make good habits or get rid of bad ones. So if you couple habit stacking with time blocking, you're going to have a, it's going to be a game changer. So I think you look back after doing that for a while and be like, wow, that was really impactful. I really do try to focus on my time blocking also. Uh, I time blocks, I tried time blocking my whole schedule at one point. And it's go, hard. It's hard. But yeah. I did one thing I did do personally is I was able to time block my Monday and Tuesday is strictly for meetings. Mm -hmm. I try to focus my Wednesday and Thursday on on sales. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I time block our podcast here on Friday mornings to do the recordings, which I, I need to do a better job of because I got six phone calls already just yeah. in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> well, that, that, that brings so. up a good point, though, because technology can be your friend and your enemy, right? So if you want to truly time block and not, not be tempted to be distracted by your phone or emails or whatever, turn it off. Yeah. Right. There's apps and stuff like that that you can download that'll that'll manage your, your time block. And you too. can do that actually on iPhone. You can time block on there too. You, there's an opportunity you can turn it off for certain times. I mean, I'm a Samsung guy, so which I get crap about you know, we're constantly. Not, yeah, we're not all perfect, man. <laughs> um, so with uh, and then my other part in time blocking is I make a point that I even put it in my voicemail. If you ever called me and left a voice, you'd never call me, but um, I'm a texter. if you called me sometime, wanted to talk and you try calling me after five o'clock, you get this voicemail that says, hey, da, 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 after five o'clock, this is my family time and I will return your call the following business day or later this evening after the kids are in bed. That That's great. Actually, that's a great tip. I didn't. Um, 
Yeah, I, I didn't realize you could do that. So you, you basically set it up so it automatically has that voicemail no. if it's after a certain time? It, that voicemail is on my, on my voicemail at all times. Ah. Um, and you know what? I, uh, I, get, I get consistently phone calls that say, hey, you know, I, um, I wanted to call you before 5 o'clock because I know at 5 o'clock you turn, yeah. you're turning your phone off. You're training people. Yes. Right? Yeah, and I'm not trying to be rude. And, no. But, but you know what? They, they start to respect that because... I, I, we, I've talked over and over that I'm really trying to put family first, put my kids first. Speaking of the kids, my son keeps on giving me a hard time, never giving him a shout out. So love you, Carson. Love you, Skyler. I did it. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> so anyway, with that being said, should we move on? Let's do it. Okay, awesome. Today, here in the Omaha Ria office, we have Jose Pena. And Jose has uh, done some amazing things with uh, his personal uh life, business, moving forward and getting things built. I mean, I, I'm just so impressed with how fast he's grown his business. Um, he spoke at your meetup group, you and Colin's meetup group, uh, very impressed with his group of people. And um, just, uh, you know, he's a he's a family man, a traveler. He's got 27 houses already uh, under his belt. I mean, maybe we'll find out if that's with a partnership or by himself. Um, he's doing flips, he's doing Airbnbs, he's traveling the world. Oh, and also he has a full-time job. No, does he? Does he? That's, we're Let's about to, find out. Oh, we're going to find that out. So with no further ado, I'd like to introduce Jose Pena to the Omaha Ria radio podcast. Welcome. Excited to be here today and looking forward to a great conversation. Yeah, it's, it's going to be amazing. I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> so, hey, can you give us a little bit of background about you and your business? Just a couple minute overview. So, Nice Casas LLC basically started three years ago. Um, three years ago, I was looking for a side hustle. Uh, kind of like you guys mentioned, I still work my eight to five. Uh, I do software development. And that's what I've been doing for the last eight years. And um, just I started looking into stuff, looking into things. Um, real estate wasn't at the top of my mind at that point. It was something that I kind of like bumped into during my research. I was looking for things to uh, basically help me live the style of life that I wanted to live. You know, like I started watching International House Hunters on HGTV and I'm like, I, I want to be that guy. You know, and that's kind of what triggered my me going into this research mode and identifying what I wanted to do. So I I started listening to Bigger Pockets uh, at that point. Uh, I had a thirty minute drive to work every day, uh, so thirty minutes there. Uh, you know, one podcast, coming back another podcast, or wrapping up the previous one uh, from early that day. So I did that for about six months, and then I decided, you know what, I'm a build what I need to in order to be able to go to these meetups that you guys basically have put together, which are great resources. And uh, from there, I'm like, I want to be able to go to those meetups, but have the building blocks in place to be able to say that I want to do something right. So that people don't just look at me and be like, ah, he's just talking, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I reached out to a lawyer, I put in my LLC together, nice casas LLC together with my wife uh, 50% pretty much partners, uh, at this point and hopefully <laughs> for the rest of the life. But, uh, uh, yeah, we put that thing together. Um, I got a HELOC put together on my house. What's uh, a HELOC? HELOC, home equity line of credit. Uh, and yeah, that basically what it does, it kind of like 
uses your sitting equity on your current primary home so that you can use that for whatever you want. In my case, it was investing. Uh, I really needed to to have access to some cash because uh, at this point, my I mean, I couldn't reach out to my family at this point. Um, I didn't have the credibility uh, or anything like that. Right. I wasn't going to put somebody else's money at risk. I, I wanted to make sure that uh, I wasn't putting somebody else's money at risk. That's pretty much it. So my wife was like, OK, yeah, sure. She was in her master's at this point uh, in social work. So she was pretty busy. I was, you know, uh, with this addiction of real estate that, that I had acquired at this point. And yeah, put that HELOC together and I went to a real estate meetup. And Which then, one? Uh, the Omaha real estate meetup. I, How did you find out about that? Actually, I... I've been to other meetups in town uh, through software. Like which ones? The Agile uh, meetup. Uh, there's the... Sounds like a real hoot. Agile <laughs> software development. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I went to the... to the. Um, actually, there's a particular one, the Agile uh, for the fence here in Omaha, because I, I was working with the Department of Defense contractor, right? I was doing software for uh, with Northrop Grumman uh, for Offutt Air Force Base. So I was pretty comfortable in the in the meetup community type of thing, right? I, I presented at these meetups before and I knew like once I got into real estate, I'm like, there has to be a meetup for this. It has to be other people with a similar mindset or somebody that has done this before, right? So I started Googling and I found the Omaha real estate meetup. It was at a bar. So I'm like, perfect fit, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> yeah, I was, I was really excited about it. I was a little bit intimidated because I was the guy with like, you know, not a lot of money, not a lot of experience. I just had this in my gut that I, that I needed to go and I needed to explore this. Was this, you said three years ago? Is that right? Three years ago. Yeah. 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 So we were just getting started then, I think. Do you remember which bar? This major, yes, yeah, major. okay, yeah, yeah, the started there and outgrew that pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. who yeah. space? Who was the presenter at your first event? I remember, because I think I was sweating the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I don't really remember. I remember the people that I met at that point, and it's nice because some of those people, like those, that was their first meetup too, and they're you know killing it, which is awesome. Yeah. Well, you found common ground uh, despite being nervous, right? You were able to find other people that were in a similar stage uh, looking to, you know, figure out how they can make a go of real estate. So having that's the thing. It's I think when people that are maybe newer in the business and intimidated and maybe they're a little introverted also, you, it's like drinking from a fire hose when you look at kind of the big picture uh, on these meetups. If there's over 100 people there, I think a lot of people are like, oh, my God, I don't want to talk to 100 people. But the trick is. You don't have to. You show up and make it your goal to meet one or two quality people and have a really good conversation with them so you can form a connection that you can then, you know, look back on later and say, hey, I really like talking to that person. I wouldn't mind spending more time with them. Then you can have coffee or lunch or beer or whatever. Definitely. Actually, at that meetup, what I remember a lot was calling. Um, I, at that point, I was working out, you know, five, five days a week. So I was kind of like, you know, pumped and, you know, muscles here and feeling, there. Feeling jacked. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Colin asked me, hey, can you take Owen across the street and just beat him up? <laughs> that and, sounds like something he would say. Yeah, yeah. That's the first thing that Colin asked me to do. And I'm like, shoot, if I have to do this thing, you know, just to get into real like estate. Fight club. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, Owen, come on. No, no. <laughs> yeah, but it was. Um, He's like, yeah. He measured you up. He's like, I can take him. <laughs> <laughs> 
like, this is going to be great. Better be careful. Owen works out too. I know. I know. Not that he mentioned I'm old, it. I'm old, man. I'm sure you got, uh, you got a little more speed than I do these days. So. We went golfing and he had his, he had his pipes out. I'm like, I'm like, man, you working out or what? He's like, yeah, actually I do. And I was like, I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. That escalated quickly. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, but yeah. Um, yeah. I, I knew I wanted to meet with Colin at that point because I knew he was, um, I saw a post on Bigger Pockets from him and it was just like this long post of how he started from, you know, a year ago and where he's at, at, at that point. And he was already, you know, huge, you know, and, and here in Omaha and it was, it was just amazing to see his growth. So I'm like, I need to talk to that guy. And I did, I didn't uh, speak with him for a little bit. So I just felt like, you know, like this kind of like uh, high school girl type of thing you know? I, I would say jelly you felt jelly yeah there you go well he, <laughs> you can really only talk to him and hold his attention for little snippets of time anyway with his uh, extreme ad add that he has so <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and i'm glad i i met with other people there that i still continue to <laughs> that i still continue to have conversations with and bounce ideas of each other you know like rubber duck type of thing uh, it's always good to to be that guy that can you can bounce off ideas off of so that's how you got started um what, what are we talking about next ted well i had a question i just want to backtrack you you talked about this heloc that you got and you didn't have any money saved up to get your first investment property right, right. so how much money did that heloc open up for you about $54,000 worth of equity on the on the house. And it really only took like 300 bucks to get that HELOC started. Uh, people think that, you know, something like that might take 800 bucks. It doesn't. Um, you do a drive-by appraisal of the house, that's like $200. And then the loan origination fees from, from your local credit union or bank, that's about, you know, 150 or so. So, so it's a pretty easy process? It is. Uh, at first, uh, when me and my wife bought the house... Uh, we were like, you know, the, the mentality that, that was uh, given or instilled in us was pay your house as much as possible, you know, and pay that debt. And we did that. Um, and then once I started looking into real estate, I'm like, let's stop. Let's stop doing that. It's the cheapest debt that you have. And then um, I'm glad that we did it, though, because that built enough equity on the house so that I could initiate all of this, uh, all of this stuff. What was, was your wife, were you guys on the same page, like from the get go or did it take, I mean, cause it's one thing when you go to a meetup and you meet people and you see it firsthand, when you try and describe that meeting to someone else, it gets like filtered down and it's not as impactful. Right. And maybe like when you're talking about a mind shift, uh, mindset shift into, you know, kind of the Dave Ramsey approach, which it sounds like what you were applying, right. pay down all debt at all times and, you know, live debt free if possible to wait a minute. This makes a lot of sense if we want to use leverage to our benefit and it's cheap money. And if you use that as good debt versus bad, then you can, uh, you know, juice your returns and, you know, use it to buy cash flowing real estate and all that. Was she on board with that? Or did you have a challenge in the beginning of trying to be like, wait, 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 we were wrong. Cause that's a big deal. I yeah. mean, that's a, that's a big deal when you're focused on saving and saving and saving and paying off debt to like debt is our friend. It, it, it was a big deal, uh, initially because, um, I, the thing that kind of like calmed her down was the fact that I specifically told her we won't be using our own money for this. I will not, uh, put my hands on our, uh, checking account on our savings account. We will only be using this money for. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take our whole nest egg of invest, uh, yeah. our biggest investment. Yeah. <laughs> like, borrow this for a minute. 
you know, out of sight, uh, out of mind type of thing. Like, um, yeah, uh, there was that equity right there. But I figure, you know what? If anything goes wrong, the I think the from my perspective, it was kind of like a calculated risk after six months of um, getting all this knowledge from Breaker Pockets. You know, I felt like if we buy a house, um, l- let's say, you know, the from from my perspective, I was gonna find something that made sense for two or three people, you know, like I'd ask around before I actually go into something. Um, and, and it was a calculated risk. I felt like I felt pretty good about it. It was hard for me to explain to her at, at that moment because there was no proof of concept. There was no, um, you know, credibility history or anything like that. Right. So that was the hardest part, but, uh, she was on her masters. She was trying to focus on that. And she was just like, you know what? I believe you. I trust you. Uh, that's fine. Just don't touch our money. <laughs> Go have fun, but don't don't touch anything that you're going to regret later. Right. So you, you you took this money, went and got your LLC set up. You said mm-hmm. when you did your LLC, did you go to a lawyer? Do this yourself? Go to a lawyer uh, for the first one. That, the nice Casas LLC. Yeah. What that cost you? Like four fifty or five hundred bucks to get it, to get it going. And I I mean it was basically they they handled it all. You know I just said this is the name that I want. This is uh, the percentages and the partnership, how it's going to be broken down. And that, that was it. Now, it's just you and your wife on the LLC. So you did a partnership uh, structure. Right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And since you've created another LLC, is that? I created a little construction uh, business type of uh, LLC, uh, build tour LLC. Not so nice Casas LLC? No. No, <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> No, this one is a uh, construction related uh, because actually, and, and we can talk about that if you guys want to go further into it, but I was in the process of remodeling a flip when I, I was tagged by the city and I'm like, what's going on? Like, I, I didn't know the city could come in and just stop the business, you know, <laughs> um, and this was in Bellevue. So they pretty much requested that I pull permits for, for the flip, which now makes sense. You know, that's, that's the process. Um, and then what I had in budget was not being respected by other people that were coming in and giving me bids. You know, they were like 10, 10 grand over what I had expected. So at that point, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go take this test to become a general contractor and to be able to pull permits myself. So I, I got the license after like three late, super late nights of studying uh, this thing. And I took the test and we were going to go on vacation so I had to drive to Sook City to take the test and get the results back so that I could get the LLC started before going on vacation in order to pull the permits because I didn't want to be on vacation for a week without the permit process uh, started, you know. So I took the test, started the, um, I pulled the permits, and then I was able to to continue. What did you get on the test? A percentage. is a pass or fail. Oh, okay. They don't tell, they, so they don't tell you what you missed, like what no. questions? Did you have a construction background before doing this? No. So you tell me that anybody can just go get this uh, this permit? You buy two books. Uh, really. It's op- open book, right? Like you can go and flip through it and find yeah. what section, but it's a big book. Freaking book. I mean, that thing can kill somebody if it launched. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's a big book. Uh, but thankfully, it's only certain chapters that you need to read for a specific license. And the license that I needed was only like four or five chapters that I needed to read related to like plumbing, uh, uh, framing, Electrical type of thing. foundation, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of a little bit of everything, but mostly 
uh, kind of like your regular building type of stuff, you know, uh, framing. Would you going to now going to the meetups and having people look up to you? Was this something that you would suggest to uh, first time flippers to get get this uh, construction background to get licensed so that you can go go this route? You have. Um, I didn't have the access to the contractors that I have now, you know, and like if I, I was kind of trying to like learn everything. Right. And I'm at, at this point, I don't really want to learn everything. You know, I don't, I don't have the, the mental capacity to know everything. Right. So I'm like, um, if you have, uh, access to those people already, I wouldn't recommend it. It's just, um, adding on complexity to, to what you're already doing. And then, that kind of puts into your mind, like, I can, I already have the license. I can pull the permits. I can, I can already do that. So I'm not just going to do that. Instead of growing the business, I'm working on the business, you know, it's just in the business. I'm not working on the So business. you kind of transitioned from uh, trying to do everything to more of a who, not how approach. Like, I need to know who can do this, not necessarily do, be able to do it myself. Because I, I see that as a kind of like a... It, it it um, it helped me in regards to like saving money at the start, which I was. That's what I needed at the start, right? Uh, but if you have the the knowledge, the the no like connections and stuff like that, people in your network that you can reach out to, uh, it's better to just concentrate on growing the business instead of working in the business. Well, I think uh, one one thing that has stuck with me since I got started, and I, I'm the world's worst handyman. But I want, I made a decision to do that on my very first flip project was do a lot of the, try to do as much of the work as I can. And it took forever and I screwed a lot of things up and all that. But now that enabled me to understand what was involved in various remodeling projects. And not only that, I know when somebody's trying to rip me off because I know that this, this is not a, you know, a thousand dollar job or whatever. People try to, you know, I think. Not all contractors are like this, but some are. They'll fish for suckers, right? So they'll throw out, uh, you know, a bid that's high. And if you don't know what you're doing, you might be like, okay, that's must be normal, right? So I think you can understanding at least the basics of construction, I think is a good, you know, tool to have in your, in your toolbox. But yeah, you don't need to know how to frame an entire house and sheetrock it and paint it, paint everything. Like, like you said, you get stuck coming on the hamster wheel working in your business, not on it. Right. So, yeah. so. It's cool that you have that though. I mean, I, I like, I think people get really intimidated with construction and especially the whole like scary, uh, the city's going to tag me and like they're, they're intimidated by that. But if you understand it a little better and can, you know, work with the city inspector, um, I don't know if we want to talk about that later, but, uh, I think that's not, that's something that's, uh, intimidating to a lot of newer investors, especially is like, they don't, what happens if the city gets me, you know, type thing, or they're, they're going to be on some type of blacklist. Right. Right. I've done that. You know, I've worked with uh, the city inspectors. Like I send them messages. Hey, I'm working on this house just to let you know. Um, I know like how to facilitate their um, their job. So like I, I try to do as much as I can up front so they don't have to be out there like on the field, like putting the spotlight on the window or something like that. So it's it's been helpful quite a bit. Uh, I've helped other people set up their own businesses because of it. You know, like I've helped other, uh, other contractors like get started in regards to this, you know, it, it, it does facilitate quite a bit of, uh, of things on the construction side of things. Yeah.
Well, how about we do a little dig dive, not a deep dive, but a little dig into uh, your portfolio. Can you tell us about your first flip and the story behind it? Definitely. So or fl- flip or hold? This is a hold. Okay. First deal, uh, I started with the mentality of holding, holding as much as I can because uh, of all the podcasts that I've listened to, most of the people say that they regret selling. You know, that's what they do. That's what they say. They, I regret selling. I wish I could have hold more or, you know, hold, holding builds wealth type of thing, you know, generational wealth. So I started with that mentality. I went to a real estate meetup, uh, the Colin and Owens real estate meetup. Uh, and I met one of the Miller way guys, uh, John Miller. And he knew that I was a brand new guy, but had, you know, a HELOC, had an LLC. He knew all of that, and he knew that I was looking for a, for a house. I actually went on a couple of house visits with him uh, just to take a look at the houses and see like how they take a look at them, how they uh, underwrite them, what things he looks at at, uh, at each particular house. So I went with him a couple, of, a couple of times, and he told me about a deal that didn't necessarily meet his numbers, their numbers that they had, you know, like they had very specific numbers, and he's like, Maybe it'll work for you if you're willing to do some sweat equity. And he knew that I was willing, right? I'm like, <laughs> hand it over type of day. <laughs> foaming at the mouth. Yeah, yeah, foaming at the mouth at that point. <laughs> yeah, I tried to like look away so that he didn't see that, you know. But <laughs> um, we went, took a look at the house, and it was another investor who had issues with the tenants. Uh, the house was in disarray. It was really bad. Um, I mean, we're talking to plaster on the walls that was basically gone you know just like massive holes and you could see through the kitchen from the living room type of thing on and there was a wall there and um eventually he pretty much like guided me through the whole process he held my hand through the whole process and i told him i have the money i really want to move forward with this let's let's do it you know and he helped me he helped me and we acquired it. It was um, a house on uh, here in close to Little Italy and like kind of right outside of Little Italy on 8th Street. And was it like a white house with pillars up front and it was like a up down? It's a blue house uh, on 8th Street. Uh, yeah, really close to like uh, there's they're building new apartments around there. Yeah, the uh, Grace. It's funny, you know, we were, I think we were talking last week. Um, I don't remember if it was Bob or Michael, but how everything is quote unquote Benson now, you know, like it just, if it happens to be north of Dodge or whatever, it's Benson. Right. And like Little Italy, Little Bohemia is kind of the same thing now. Have you noticed that? Like, yeah. If it's somewhere south, uh, you know, like in South Omaha, like it's Little Italy, even though it's like, okay, that's 72nd Street. Okay. Not even close. <laughs> The yeah. little Italy area is has has kind of a nonstop thing going south to the to the zoo, you know. That's why people, but it it really isn't that big, no, right? Yeah. And, then, and then you got little, then you got little Bohemia, which really is only like twelfth um, Street to Sixteenth Street, and kind of from your old market, the railroad track bridge to Sokol Auditorium. But it, yeah, but everybody's like, oh yeah, a little, you know, we're on 24th Street right here. And everybody's like, oh yeah, that's the outskirts of Bohemia. I'm like, yep. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <is."> <laughs> yeah. uh, that's funny. Um, let's see. So that was your first one. Right. right. And uh, so you ended up keeping it. Is that right? Yeah. So you, so it was a mess. You got possession of it. Um, did you keep the tenants? They were out at that moment. Oh, okay. I, yeah. So was that by design or they just bailed? Okay, and, and that's why kind of like the the 
the investor at that point was just like they bailed they left the mess i don't want to deal with it we had a really tough issue and a tough time getting them out of the house so they were just done um and we came in we fixed it up and we rented it out what did you end up uh, so what did you um if we can talk about this what did you end up buying it for we bought it for like forty six, forty six, forty six thousand dollars uh, at that point, and nineteen eighty. Yeah, like, like what, what are you talking about? Yeah, it was. We bought it for forty six. We put in like twenty grand into it, so it was sixty six. And uh, at that point, you know, I I knew from uh, post in the in the Facebook group that there were certain banks that were willing to do eighty percent um, refinance on properties. Uh, based on the ARV, which is awesome. Uh, so I worked with this bank. ARV is? Uh, after repair value. Yeah. What bank did you work with? This one was Centris. Centris at that point. And they basically scheduled an appraisal. Uh, and, you know, the thing is that people think it's um, it might be a big deal. But all you have to do is once you're done, just call them and let them know, hey, can we finance this if you buy if you buy cash there is no seasoning period from that um a lot of people get uh, hang up on the seasoning period when you buy a cash there is no seasoning period you can just you buy a cash you rehab it with your money or whoever's money you can access to uh, access from and get the bank involved as soon as you're done with it so we got the uh, appraisal and it came in at 120 which was awesome uh and at that point, I decided to do finance a little bit more than what I put into it so that I could grab that money and use it for momentum. Hey, so real quick, let me just pause here real quick. Um, you, you talked about the seasoning period and that has been my personal biggest hang up with because I'm not I'm not to Owen's status yet and I'm not to your status either as far as my investment portfolio and I'm just going bank to bank. And that's my biggest thing I'm running across is a seasoning period. You know, I, I, you know, I flipped a property. I didn't pay cash for it. And my first one I did, but this one I didn't. And, uh, I cannot find a bank to, uh, do a loan without the. Yeah. I mean, I, I've personally used, uh, Malvern bank and Malvern, Iowa, uh, for a bunch of stuff. Um, they've, they, they've financed a ton of loans for me. And uh, American Interstate Bank, uh, both of them will do no seasoning periods. I mean, but for the tradition, I mean, okay, so I have a client that has lots of money and he's, you know, done probably about 14 deals with me and Dundee Bank doesn't give him a seasoning period. But me that has seven doors, I have a seasoning, you know, they're like, oh, no, you get there's a seasoning period for you. So somebody like Owen, you know, that has 100 plus properties. Yeah, I, well, no, that's a good point. Um, maybe it's not the same for everyone, but I think it just means that you need to talk to more banks or get referred by people that have done these type of situations before. Because you know, I've done exactly what you're talking about with with different banks. I haven't used a ton of banks though. Like I kind of stick with ones I that take care of me and that um, you know I like working with, and uh, they've helped me grow my my portfolio, and I'm happy to continue doing banking with them, even if it means. I'm not shopping for the best deal every time on interest rates or terms, right? I'm fine, you know, paying a little bit more, if, you know, if it means I'm paying a higher interest rate, but I really like the bank and they've been good to me, then 
I'm fine with that. I know it didn't answer your question, but I think it's just getting referrals to more, more banks. Uh, the seasoning thing you'll be able to overcome. Uh, you just have to have a good, put a, put a real estate bio page together. Uh, just kind of describing what your experience is, a personal financial statement, and then have your tax returns ready to go. I know you'll have all of that already, but yeah. So good tips. I appreciate it. Well, so we really seem like we're kind of doing a deal breakdown of this property and uh is it okay that we just kind of dig deep into this one with a few questions yeah definitely so on this specific property we know that you found this through real estate meetup yep and you talked to john miller yep i've done a lot of work with those guys in the yeah. past and you bought it we already know the cost mm-hmm. 46 grand crazy and did was there any deal negotiation in this um no not really not really not that i can remember i think it was just like um they came up with i think it was like 52 or something like that i i went in there i took a look at things and i'm like hey would you guys consider like um well i think they were wanting like 48 and i we just came down to 46 i think big negotiation it makes you it makes you wonder what they bought it for or do you know i don't they have under contract for like 30 grand or something i mean you never checked the douglas county assessor just to see haven't yeah that's that's like i didn't know about those resources back then you know yeah. like i didn't know about the the dc assessor or anything like that i just knew that uh what other properties were going for in that area so i just felt like i can do this uh, and i knew the rents were up there in that area too um because i've been just doing a whole bunch of deal analyzing type of thing that i n- felt comfortable knowing you know in this area this is how much they're going for in this area this is how much they're going for I'm I'm bad about that. Like if I if I get lose a deal and and the wholesaler won't tell me who I lost it to, uh, or if I buy a deal and I want to know what, what really what it was at the end, you do a little online stalking. Yeah, I do every time. Yeah, I I get on Douglas County Assessor. I look it up to see who what the deal was and how much they got it for and how long they held it. I mean, I and then even if I uh, if I lost a deal and through a wholesaler and i feel like somebody snaked me uh, i i put a note in my calendar to check it in two months yeah <laughs> well you know and there's a like and i'm not great about this either but if you make a spreadsheet on every offer you've made it gets really interesting if you go back and track that later then you can find out who ended up buying it and that does a couple of things it, you find out how off you were on what it was going to take to buy it or like, you know, and, and so you can track your offers over time, but then it also kind of builds almost a buyer's list. So if you, if you are losing out to other investors, it's good to know who those people are because they may not be in your center of influence. Right. So if you go back and look at that and you can say, okay, I offered on this, 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 and this, and like, here's the same person that bought two or three of them, then why not reach out to them? Be like, Hey, I saw you bought this and that, and we were competing on it. I'd just like to get to know you and See what you're interested in, blah, blah, blah. I need to update my list because what we do is we have a Dropbox file. And for the last six years, I, I've added a, I created a file for every single property I've ever walked. And it's got all the photos and all my anal, anal, analyzing in there, but I don't have it in a spreadsheet, but I have, I do have a file of every property I've ever walked. Yeah. And that's, that's helpful too. The spreadsheet helps a lot because you can search it too. I just had, I can't tell you how often I've walked a house two or three times and I keep my adding back to that file. I just had one I sold to a California investor. Literally, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've walked the house twice in the last five years. He's like, what? And I send him my file. I go, here's here's my analysis for five years ago. Here's my analysis from three years ago. And here's this. And I had photos of it of each time I was in it, too. You know what's crazy? <laughs> I think they help me sell it. <laughs> like, what, what's, what's crazy is when you start, you know, you've done this for a while. Like, I started in 2005. And I'll see the same house, like the very first one I ever flipped. Like, I've seen it sold, like, three or four times. So, it's always interesting to see that and look back at the pictures because I'm like... 
I look at that and I'm like, oh my God, like I chose that tile or whatever, just because it was cheap and like gold note cabinets. And then you kind of look at the pictures of what it sold out later. You're like, yeah, they, that was much better. So, yeah. I think it's really helpful to have that history. It is. Yeah. To- and it's the longer you do it, the more powerful it is mm-hmm. that record, uh, keeping those records. So, well, the funny thing is like, um, I, I had a lot of investors that, you know, that were in, right in their beginning stages when I first started uh, doing this f- a little over five years ago. And it, it and it kind of go, it's going to go back to what you're saying on turning properties. But you know, I had a lot of clients that were initially buying North Omaha and then they kind of graduated and then they're like, OK, now we're buying South Omaha. And then, and then they're like, OK, now I'm going to sell all my properties Midtown. and buy. Well, if, if, if they could afford it. Right. Yeah. And then I'm going to sell all my properties. Now I'm going to buy my first small multifamily. And then, and it's a transition, but then you see these properties because of that. I mean, for me, I was actually certain, like uh, certain properties I would be, I was the agent on four and five times. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I kept on selling it to my internal list of people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's interesting uh, about that too, is like when you first start out, I think the tendency is you buy what you can. And then after you've been doing it for a while and you get some reps in, then you start buying what you want. And that's when it starts getting a little more fun. You know, it's, it's cool, but in the, you know, in the beginning, you got to like kind of scrap for deals and like, you know, you're hustling and looking at things and buying stuff just because they're cheap. But, you know, eventually you can kind of level up, I guess, so to speak, and, and, uh, buy some better locations. So let's get back to you. Uh, Jose, tell us, you got your first house done. We, we, we did our deal breakdown of it, but kind of give us a quick version of how you, how you scaled to where you're at now. I was always looking. I was always looking. I was always attending those uh, real estate meetups. Um, I found houses through Facebook, through Craigslist, through cold calling. So I was just always looking, always trying different things. And that kind of helped me scale up. Uh, I found some of these houses, which were, you know, great deals at that point. Uh, And it it was surprising to me. Uh, Also, like, how how I like stumbled upon these houses, you know, like uh, there was a house that was listed on the real estate Facebook group for like 30 grand on 37 and F street uh, here in South Omaha. And the guy pretty much said, these are the times that I'll be there. And if anybody shows up, we can talk about, you know, an offer. And I was the only one that showed up, which is crazy, you know, and I got the house for 30 grand on that location. Uh, this was two years ago, which is surprising to me you know because in that area it, the market's hot and and i like i said always always consistently looking at different channels different places i use technology for uh, searching on craigslist for example at that point craigslist has like a had an rss feed type of thing so that you could use the if this then that app so that if anybody listed a house uh for under this specific value then i'd get an email you know, and I wasn't had. I didn't have to consistently be on Craigslist looking for that stuff. Does that do they still have that functionality? RSS feed mm. Craigslist did. So one th- one takeaway from this is you found how many deals as a direct result of going to and attending meetups, whether by meeting people who had deals or just being aware and active in the Facebook group. You found a deal. How much money did you make on the thirty thousand dollar one? So that one we still have. Uh, and we we hold that one. That one thirty thousand dollars. We bought it. And put like forty into it, and it appraised at one hundred and twenty four. Uh, and we're it's currently so fifty thousand dollars worth of equity, almost. Yeah, more yeah. seventy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or uh, yeah, and it's currently rented for twelve hundred. 
So this gets back to the whole, like, I don't have time for that thing. Right. So people that say, ah, I don't have time to go to the meetup. I say, do you have time to spend two hours and make about $30,000 an hour? Do you, do you have time for that? I mean, is your, are, is your spouse going to be upset that you went to a meetup, met, met somebody or, or found out about a deal and you made 50 grand out of it and you have yeah. a cash flowing asset? You don't have time for that? I make the time. So Brandon, yeah. <laughs> Brandon and I always say, we're like, you know, on, on, especially on houses we wholesale where you don't have to spend a lot of time on the rehab. We'll say, would you walk, would you, would you drive across town to pick up a check for 30 grand? Right? Would you? I mean, brainer. of course you would. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yet people have excuses on why they're not doing that. Ah, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. You have time for that. You're not making time for it. Right. So that's a, I, I mean, this is a testament to that, that group, right? Deals get made when you show up and develop relationships with people, period. People know that you close. People know that you do business. People seen um, things that I've accomplished during the, during the process of three years. So they know, you know, that uh, things do get close. Well, I, I think also too, Jose, anybody that knows you knows you're an honest guy. You're, you do what you say you're going to do. Uh, and you seem to have that good, you know, integrity true north, right? So people know that it's led to other opportunities for you. You're on podcasts now. You've spoken in front of the meetup. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you continue what you're doing and keep, well, actually, let me, let me, back up a second you're still working yeah how, how how are you doing all this so you're a software engineer right um how so what if somebody forwarded this uh link to the podcast to your boss what do you think you do did you get canned i will hopefully get a <laughs> private lender that's that's what i'm looking for you know hopefully you know this i work for a consulting company and they're pretty great they got great benefits and the flexibility of being able to work from uh, from home and also being able to like make up the hours if I need to in the evening, just as long as I'm producing what the uh, people that we're client, producing for our clients, then they're happy. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like, that's how they gauge. It's pretty autonomous type of thing, you know. So you have, you have deliverables and as long as you meet those and, uh, you know, don't fall behind, then, you know, they kind of give you a free reign to, you know. Pretty much. If the client is happy... The consulting company is happy. Do you th- do you have a goal of leaving eventually? If you want to share that, or uh, are you going to just kind of keep doing this until it can't becomes uh, your real estate becomes unmanageable or too big, and you want to make a go of it? What are your thoughts on that? So I do love the software aspect of things, building things, and um, helping get companies to uh, somewhere, right? Because they've they've got the requirements type of thing. But I do want to eventually focus on on, on real estate uh, and maybe even real estate software, something related to that. Uh, since I have the background, uh, I built uh, an app, you know, right now that basically collects. Oh, yeah, yeah. Coll- you, want, you want to talk about that real quick? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I built this web page uh, that collects information from other investors that uh, if you want to go out there and put your appraisal information uh, related to a house, you can submit that and then it just shows up, shows up on a map so that whenever another investor is looking to invest in that particular area, they have a, a data point to go against. You know, they, they know that if they buy the house for a hundred and they invest $20,000 into it, another house close by appraised for 180 so they can get their money back out. Awesome. Yeah. Did it take a long time to build that? Uh, I want to say like four days. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. 
We'll yeah. have to talk to Dan and see if we can get a link to that in our show notes. Yeah, it, it's got one little bug right now, but I'm I'm, I'm going to work on fixing it. Hopefully during this long weekend after the parties. <laughs> well, priorities. Yeah, priorities. Yeah. Well, can you tell us, you, so how many houses do you have? Um, I've got a mix of units. Yeah. Uh, uh, or how many doors? 27 doors at this point. Are they all in one specific area of town or are they in different cities or? South of Hamilton Street. Okay. Uh, that's basically where I've concentrated my efforts. Um, so Benson. <laughs> Benson. Yeah. 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 But um, there, it's it's a mixture of like a seven plex, a four plex, like three or four duplexes and the rest are single families. And you did this all based off of your initial investment from your HELOC or did you bring partners in? Um, use the HELOC. I've worked with liquid lending on, a, I want to say like four or five, four deals or so uh, as of this point. Uh, so, I mean, if, if the, there's enough meat on the bone, then um, you, can, you can continue to grow by using other people's money. Real quick point on that. So um, on the deals you've done uh, that liquid lending has funded, you, you uh, did the PER method on all of those, right? So you basically used hard money to acquire the property, put the work into it that it needed, refinanced, paid off the hard money loan, and uh, now you know, basically you had, a, you had a fully funded project on a few of these, right? Yeah, like cash, even, yeah. cash flow and assets. Um, I did use it for one flip and two flips. Uh, and basically there was enough money there to, uh, to use hard money lending. You basically just factor it into your numbers. And if it makes sense, you just move forward with it. And that's, that's what I love about, you know, liquid lending that they enable people like me to continue investing. Um, you just have to find a deal. That's it. So just to kind of break that down a little bit. Oh, and if I, if I have a property that I need a loan, a hundred thousand all in. <clears throat> am I going to pay in its 18% interest? Am I paying $18,000? Yeah. So kind of the quick math is if you're going to borrow a hundred thousand dollars, let's say it's 18% interest. The quick math is it's 1500 bucks for every hundred grand you borrow per month. So you're going to have, you know, if it's going to take you three months to complete a project and be out of it, you're going to have $4,500 uh, finance charge. So if you build that into a deal and the deal still makes sense and you don't have other fast, cheap uh, financing alternatives, it can be a, a really good way to, you know, just pick up properties. And then you can either sell them like Jose's talking about doing a flip or you can refinance into a, you know, in term out of note, keep it as a cash flowing rental. But I think that's where people get hung up. They're like, oh my God, I don't want to pay 18% interest. It's like, okay, well, it's just a line item, right? Like if it still makes sense and you're going to pay what's 3,000, 4,500, you just write it into the deal. If it still makes sense, why not do it? Do you, you're going to make $20,000 on it. Is it not worth it? So that's my whole, you know, counter argument to the whole like high interest rate thing. But yeah, if you do it properly and you, and the deal has enough meat on the bone, then yeah, right. do it. But if you have liquid financing options elsewhere that are cheaper, absolutely use them. It doesn't make sense in every deal, but it does make sense sometimes. What I just do is, um, I try to invest all of my lower interest money and if there's other deals coming in, then I jump to hard money. Uh, and if it makes sense, uh, we, we move forward. Like liquid lending is helping me finance my sevenplex right now, which I hope to appraise uh, in a month. Well, I think it's time to move on to our fabulous, fabulous five. five. How do we do that? Yeah. 
Well, we, just, we, we just laugh every time we do this, don't we? It's just great, yeah. One time I, I pretended I was going to do it, and I just let him do it. Yeah. And, <laughs> sandbag me. He has such a pretty voice. <laughs> hey, so uh, real quick, rapid-fire questions here to finish this up uh, today. Can you tell us what book you're reading right now? He's a real estate investing. Ooh, Ken McElroy, right? I think it's part of the, um, what's that guy's name? Robert Kiyosaki. Robert Kiyosaki, Kiyosaki. yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. I'm timeless, really. He wrote that uh, several years back, but a lot of good principles in that one. Definitely. I'll just write that one on my list. Yeah. Um, okay. What is your favorite podcast? Awesome. Have, but, you got, have you gone through all of them yet? No. I, possibly not in this lifetime. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. 500 episodes now they've got. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think technically it's like 504 by now. Is it? Yeah, they have all the spinoffs too. The real estate rookie, real estate right. business. Yeah, they do yeah. a good job. I remember listening to their fir- very first episode. Yeah. Yeah, like right when it came out. That's how old I am. Yeah. We're not anyway. going to go there. <laughs> well, uh, any passions or hobbies? Um, I love uh, soccer and traveling. Very soccer team? Um, it's actually from the Mexican League, mm-hmm. America. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And what, and what kind of traveling have you done? Um, Europe, Mexico. Uh, we went to Africa for a day, I guess you could say Morocco. Because uh, people just do African trips for a day. Yeah. I mean, why not? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, we went to Morocco one day. We've been to Spain. Uh, we've been to London, Amsterdam, Greece, uh, Italy. Yeah. I went to Counts Bluffs last week. Oh, yeah. Like a champ. <laughs> he also lives in Carter Lake. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see. How were you able to change your mindset to get started into investing? You touched on that a little bit. Any other further thoughts? Um, the four-hour work week. That's what mm, light, that's lighted up the light bulb on top of my head. I figured there's people working for four hours a week. Why not me? Mm-hmm. And that's what triggered me to go into the research. Yeah. Awesome. And how can people find more about you? Um, I'm not that active on social media. You could say I'm starting to in Instagram, uh, nice casas uh, is where I'm at in Instagram, but I, I, I do want to focus a little bit more on that. Uh, possibly Facebook, Instagram, uh, the podcast now, I guess. Uh, but yeah, they they have an email address, nice casas one at gmail.com. If anybody wants to reach out, love to meet with new, new people. Is there any, anything that the Omaha Ria, uh, listeners could do to help benefit and grow your business. What are you looking for right now for your business? Specifically right now, like one of my contractors is moving out of town yesterday, uh, to, like in the upcoming weeks. So I guess just contacts, you know, good people that can wrap up projects, um, painters, electricians, plumbers, all of that stuff. Yeah. Just contacts. You got a lot, you got a lot of jobs going right now. I got uh, actually one one Airbnb right now that we're that's gonna be the first one. It's uh, it's here in Harney Street, close to the Conway Hotel. That's a massive project. We got a duplex that has violations on it. Massive project. I mean, probably, yeah, quite a bit of jobs. Um, I didn't come up with anything that was embarrassing that I could think of off the top of my head. Had, I know I, there's something. You, you live a boring life. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm going to have to call my mom up and, and figure that one out. Yeah. So, well, with that, I think we're going to just conclude, right? Yeah. You want to take us out? Wrap it up. On behalf of Ted, I have no embarrassing moments in my life, Kosh. I'm Owen Dashner, and you've listened to episode five of the Rhea Radio Show. Signing off. Signing off.